If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Join us as we dive into the history, hauntings, and high strangers of the world to try to better understand the paranormal. I will be your guide. I am paranormal researcher and investigator Eric Freeman Sims. Welcome to the Unseen Paranormal Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Unseen Paranormal. Today we are welcoming a friend of mine, Mr. Brandon Schecksnyder from Southern Gothic, the podcast. If you haven't listened to this podcast, it's great. I love it. It's a story-based podcast, but he has a little twist where he gets to the bottom of the actual stories of hauntings, the folklore, to see if he can actually prove if it's, it's something that's real or something that's not. And I think that little twist is awesome. He just surpassed a million downloads, which is amazing in the podcast world. What's up, Brandon? How's it going, man? What's going on, Eric? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on today. You were nice enough to invite me out to your, your Franklin ghost tour in Franklin, Tennessee, and we had a blast that night. Shoot, I wanted your help. I wasn't inviting you out <laughs> of the kindness of my heart. <laughs> I wanted you to come out and talk about hunting ghosts, man. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, a good, it was a good night, man. We got really lucky as we were talking a while ago. Tennessee weather, it's, it's different every week. Yeah. You never know what to expect. But we had a really nice night out there, and it was probably we had probably about like thirty-five people come out for that tour for a for a good night, and ended up in the cemetery at the end, you know, because why not, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, and what I loved about it, it's not it wasn't like the normal ghost tours that you go on because you kind of gave it your Southern Gothic spin, uh, like your podcast, yeah. and kind of got to the bottom of some of the stories and and called bullshit on some of the legends and the claimed hauntings that people just <laughs> think, you know, take as the gospel because they've been passed around for generations. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's really what I like doing more than anything. Like you alluded to with Southern Gothic and all this. Well, let me, let me start with, I, you know, I'm not a paranormal researcher the way that you might be. I don't, I don't go out and hunt ghosts or look at hauntings. I typically focus on more of these stories that are the local legends. So we joke about it. Like, what's the story your mama told you? And then let's go find out what, right. what really is the story that your mama told you, you know? And um, 
so really what, what the tour is was kind of that extension of the podcast, of course. It was like, okay, well, here's a local legend here in Franklin. Now, let me go back and see if I can figure out, A, what are the hyperboles here? You know, what's, what's, what really is real? Were these people really here? Uh, were there, was there this big a family? What really are the historical accuracies? And then from there, try and figure out, well, how did this historical basis get from A to B? And what we find a lot in these episodes and everything is it's a lot like a game of telephone, right? You know, you have something happen somewhere, and then that kind of gets a little embellished and a little embellished and a little embellished. And then the next thing you know, somebody who was, I don't know, like the local midwife or something, ends up this mischievous voodoo queen that's destroyed a town, you know? And uh, <laughs> so I really, I really enjoy kind of going back and doing the research and kind of following through that way. So, yeah, it was wonderful to be able to do it kind of with my own little adopted hometown here in Franklin. Yeah. So you're, you're originally from New Orleans, right? Right. Yes. New Orleans, born and raised. So you started Southern Gothic Media with, with your sister. So how did y'all get into diving into the folklore and being so interested in it? Because your sister is a, that's what she does for a living is. She's a smart person. She's not like, she's not one of us, right? One of these kind of, <laughs> right. I mean, she's a, she's a weirdo as well, but no, she, she works at the Louisiana state museum. She's an archivist. So she's uh, her job description. She does research. She, uh, she just sent me pictures the other day. Somebody brought in a bunch of voodoo dolls to donate to their collection. And Brianne was kind of cataloging and, and trying to, you know, preserve these voodoo dolls for, for the Louisiana state museum's collection. They found them in a cemetery down there, but uh, essentially what we did, the way we kind of got started with Southern Gothic and all of this is growing up down in New Orleans, obviously you're just kind of into a little different stuff. If you do kind of have it, you got, you know, your vibe picture tribe, right? You know, it's kind of a weird vibe down there to begin right. with, but our parents were genealogists or amateur genealogists. Basically they, this is what they did on the weekend is they were just really into digging into genealogy back before the internet was around. So they used to drag us to, you know, libraries all the time. You know, they'd be on this microfiche machines and going through stuff and dragging us up and down the, the Mississippi River to all these old cemeteries, you know. So they'd actually bring us out to cemeteries. And, you know, my dad would be taking pictures and all of tombstones or, or gravestones, headstones. And this is kind of how we grew up was this was their main hobby. And we kind of went with them. So. Brianne kind of took it to the next level by getting into actually working in the archives and being into it that way. Um, I, of course, had to run off to Tennessee to, to work up on Music Row for a little while, but obviously found my way back because I like stories. I mean, that's the thing that I loved about working in country music, even. You know, this is a, this is a story town. It's a storyteller yeah. town, and the music here is storyteller. And so, you know, my sister and I had that kind of background together and we, we were trying to figure out something that we wanted to do to kind of work together. It, this really came very naturally for us to land in this kind of space here. It just, it felt like home, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I, when we've talked about this before, uh, you told me that, you know, when you were a kid, you did not like your parents dragging you all around. You were like, you wanted to be teenagers <laughs> and kids. I'm like, what the hell? We don't care about all this genealogy stuff. I mean, you know, like, yeah, you're 10 years old and you're in a library all Saturday like, for <laughs> right. real mom, you know, or just, I mean, shoot, you know, you're talking about Louisiana heat, you know, my, my dad's family is 300 years on the Mississippi river, you know, they came down 1720s. And so we would be on, you know, you're down on the Mississippi river in some cemetery 
in August with 90 degree heat and 90, you know, 90% humidity and just in a cemetery, like, like, what are we doing here? You know? (laughs) So yeah, yeah, we definitely, we did not enjoy it, but it shaped us. It clearly, it shaped us, you know? Right. (laughs) So yeah, but now we can't go. That's, that was kind of the joke with this tour is, you know, you can't come hang out with me anymore without ending up in the cemetery. You know, we're <laughs> yeah. going to end up in a cemetery because um, really that's what, you know, in merging all of this, you know, the thing that I've come to realize with these cemeteries is you can't walk three feet without finding a lifetime of stories literally right there at your feet. You know, you can yeah. walk through this cemetery and just every single spot is a lifetime of stories. There's a person there, you know, um, that can be researched as heavily or not as you want. You know, and it's uh, it's fascinating. I just think it's cemeteries are one of the most fascinating places in the world. I think also it it makes it real for you. It makes the stories and the people more real when you can see their headstone in their grave and more of a evidence that they lived. Right. Even in doing you know research for paranormal investigating, like if I can go out and find somebody's grave uh, when I'm doing research on a on a property, yeah, that, I mean that's great. Like I said, because it gives that more human element that they actually existed instead of just a story. Oh yeah, you know the the thing for me, well, I hear my sister, my sister being in the archives, right? She always talks about how her favorite thing to do to connect with a story is if she can find a document that that person signed. Okay. And that's kind of her thing is documents, right? And just to know that I am now holding or standing in front of this document that this person that I've written about, I've researched about has signed this document. They were here. They put their name here. Yeah. Whereas I've always been one that like you're saying, if I can go and stand at that spot where I knew they were and for a cemetery to be there, you think about, you know, just standing in front of this, this grave site and to think about all the family that would have come to think about, you know, if just to bury this person, just how this was the end of their life and, and kind of connecting with it that way, you know, um, like I said, I'm not a, a paranormal investigator like you are, but there's power in that energy. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. There's there's feels there. You know, these people were here. It's uh, it is. It's really really powerful. So with the uh, what I like with the the podcast is you you kind of go on uh, state by state, and that's how you have it kind of set up on your website. If anybody goes to southerngothicmedia.com, and people can actually pick by state different episodes that you've done in those states and uh and you stick to the south because it's southern gothic but um what are some of the weirder things you've come across that maybe you put on the podcast or you didn't weirder <laughs> stories or history um uh, that you just found weird because you tell some weird stories so if there's some that you know you think is weird i i think i want to hear them oh man you know I'm, I'm scrolling through here the list just to see what's really popped out you know my, my sister and i we weekly i just got off the phone even with her we never really know what we're going to end up working on next because sometimes you'll start something and there's just this giant rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. And you think that you can go down this rabbit hole. One of my favorite ones is something that Brianne really took to the next level. It's a uh, story down in New Orleans that a lot of people have heard of. It's the Sultan's Palace, Sultan's Palace Massacre. I, I'm not sure if you and I ever talked about this. It's really popular. But it's but this is why I find it weird that the story itself, if you were to go on like a French Quarter ghost tour and you were to go walk through the French Quarter, they would stop in front of this 
old three-story building right there in the French Quarter, and then tell you the story about how one day back in the 1870s when New Orleans was reconstructionary New Orleans, all this money had been lost. Um, everybody was basically poor, and the man who owned this mansion just needed to do something with it. He was behind on his bills, right? And all of a sudden, this man swoops into town and swears he's a sultan, right? He's from the Ottoman Empire, something like that. Swoops in and decides he's going to rent this place, pays top dollar to rent this place. Next thing you know, boat pulls up, a whole harem comes out of this boat. They're bringing furniture. They're doing everything, loading it all into this, this beautiful French Quarter house. And there's just parties there for weeks giant parties, extravagant parties, you know, the smell of opium and things are kind of wafting through the air, you know, you got like the whole deal. Everybody in town's wondering what the heck's going on inside this, this, this building, right? What's going on with this kind of strange deal? One evening, there's this giant storm comes through New Orleans and everybody just kind of, you know, stuck inside, you know, and everything. Next morning they wake up and it's silence out there and they don't know what happened. Well, a man walks by the Sultan's Palace that morning, and he walks by, and sure enough, what does he realize? There's blood coming out from under the front step, pulling down into the sidewalk from the front step of what the, quote, Sultan's Palace. So he calls the cops. The cops come to investigate the Sultan's Palace. They go in, and everyone in the building has been massacred. All the women, all their, their bodies have been chopped up, right? Amp, arms amputated, heads chopped off, decapitated, the whole deal giant massacre, pools of blood everywhere. And what you find in the middle of the courtyard, because you know those old French Quarter buildings, right? Kind of have that reverse courtyard out back, yeah. is there's a there's a hand sticking up out of the ground, and that's the Sultan's hand. He's been buried in this pile in the back. And this is the story that they'll tell you on ghost tours now, and they might start kind of talking about all the uh, all the things that could have happened, what might have happened, all this. You know, the Sultan supposedly... You know, it could have been that the Sultan was this guy who had um, he'd stolen all this from her brother, who was actually the Sultan, and this guy stole his brother's wealth. Or you know, all these different stories have kind of developed out of the story. But my sister took this story to the next level, and this is what I think is just crazy weird. And talking about that game of telephone, how what she did was she went back and found um, old city directories and and found all this stuff to look at the building itself and. You know, most people realize that the Sultan didn't actually happen, or this particular story didn't happen, but we found a different version of it even further back. And so we stop there and we look at it, and it's like, okay, well, back, you know, years prior, there was a story about this random Sultan coming to town in the 1720s, like way earlier. And there was a story of this guy, and basically the governor of Louisiana kind of put him out on the edge of town at this property. And the story developed about how after he left, this palm tree was began growing in the back of the building, right? This, and they called it the tree of death, okay? It was this random palm tree. It was a palm tree that could have only come from overseas. This wasn't you know, native to New Orleans or anything. And so this story kind of developed, and then this other story developed. And all these stories developed, and then Brianne finds like yet another thing. There's this famous New Orleans priest uh, called Père Antoine, and Père Antoine he's infamous because he came to New Orleans during the Spanish Inquisition, and he wanted to he wanted to be a part of the Spanish Inquisition in New Orleans. He wanted to be this rigid, 
know, ideologue in New Orleans basically sent him back to Spain and said, I don't think so, buddy. You know, like that's not happening here in this city. We're going to continue <laughs> debauchery, right? Yeah. Uh, but, he, he, you know, he loosened up, came back to town and became a really big popular figure. Uh, in New Orleans for a long time, and he was—he's one of the one of the six priests, I believe, that are buried in the St. Louis Cathedral. Anyway, it turns out that there's this whole other story. Père Antoine lived in the spot where that building was built, and actually, he had his own date palm tree there. And there's all this stuff written about it. So, so this story has just—that's now about a a massacre of a sultan. And all of these strange things going on and all this stuff was really just this giant gumbo of all of these local legends that have just been kind of smattered together. And um, it's fascinating to see that because... If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You know, we it's all oral tradition until it's not. You know, it's all oral tradition. And all it's all kind of put together and then maybe somebody writes about it or maybe some Yahoo like me or something goes and gives a walking tour. And just that night, there's a pretty girl on the tour. So I try and scare her a little extra. And then the next thing you know, this new little addition that I made just to kind of get a little extra rides out of the crowd that night becomes a part of my regular repertoire. And then I start saying this story, this story all the time different. And, and then, you know, it grows from there. And um, that to me are the, the cool little weird parts, you know, now, yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to go weird in a, in a less academic way, we could, <laughs> we can, you know, we could, uh, definitely there's, there's other weird hauntings and all, but Sultan's palace to me is one of those super fascinating twisty, turny stories as you kind of dig down. And we have done an episode on it and it's, it's, it's lengthy because of all that history. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I find that fascinating, uh, to get down to where it actually came from. And that, you know, none of that, it's all bullshit as far as the, you know, massacre and all that goes and blood yeah. running out and, you know, there's embellishments that you would get on this tour. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about on this here in Franklin, you know, this is, we, we talked about that one story that was the Clouston bride. Yeah. And um, it's a story that's been told forever about this, this young woman who uh, committed suicide the night before her wedding. And um, without giving it away, you know, without giving away the whole story or anything, it's not real. You know, it's not, there's no evidence to it whatsoever. And as of now, I don't really know why, why it ever even came up. I mean, we got some theories and all, but and I might not ever know how this became a big story. But the key thing that I really like to say, especially about Clouston Hall over there, is that so much stuff has happened in this building that we didn't need to make up a story for a ghost. Right, <laughs> I mean, right. You know, like this building has had its share of trauma. You know, this building has had so much go on with it. It might be one of the most haunted buildings in this town. Um, we didn't need to make up a story, but yet this story kind of defined it for a long time. It continues to really be the most popular story out of it. Well, and that story intrigues me because people have even seen what 
is supposedly the ghost of the bride hanging. Right. And, and yeah, yeah. There's a picture. Yeah. But there, yeah. And there's a, there's a picture out there that, that has been passed around and uh, of supposedly, you know, the bride hanging, but that the story is BS. It's, it never happened. <laughs> and so yeah. at that point, it like, you know, you get into like, okay, was it, because it's been passed around so many times, is it like a tulpa, you know, that it's something that's uh-huh. just taken on a life of its own, like a poltergeist or something. That's an interesting theory. Yeah. You know, and I don't really dig a lot into that part of the paranormal because I'm currently on the kick. Or Excuse me. I don't write or talk a lot about that part of the paranormal. I usually stick to the more, you know, like I said, the story research end of it. Right. But it's fascinating because the more that I work in this and the more stories that I read and all, the more I get pulled to that whole trickster concept of how you know a lot of these different things that are going on might actually be the same thing but presenting itself in different ways you know depending on the people and and all that so i mean again that's not something i write about it's you know that's me kind of as like a a civilian being into that part of the uh (laughs) you know the, (laughs) the paranormal um to me that is the most fascinating part when it comes to actual haunting, I think that's, you know, I think you're on to something there. Yeah. And just to clarify for listeners, even though that, you know, a lot of what you do is diving into the history to kind of debunk some of these stories, you still very much believe in the paranormal. Oh man. I, you know, the more you read, it's, it's almost like the more you try to debunk something, the more you realize there are some things that are just out there, you know, and you just are unexplainable. And I think I say it a lot of you can come in to debunk something and you find out that, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's total BS, more than most people even will admit to. But man, there is this 1% of what you hear that truly is just so difficult to even approach with, with a logical or a rational mind to think of it being anything other than just paranormal. Uh, to me, at least that's, that's how I felt. And cause I really have, I, I have, I've approached this, you know, I've, I've approached this like Scully, right. You know, yeah. well, even at the end of X-Files, you know, I mean, she's, I mean, she's impregnated by an alien. No spoilers. Right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is, you do so much, you end up finding things that just are such aberrations. So, so yeah, I do. I have a, I have a pretty, I think my concept of what the paranormal is, probably skewed in a different way than most people when they start and it kind of ends up off in a different world because of the academic part you know <laughs> i don't know i don't know what a, the best way to explain it is but yeah well i think i mean i if you're a good paranormal researcher and investigator you should have that mindset anyway right. even though you know even though you're not you know you're not an investigator or anything but but i think yeah most of the really good investigators and researchers that i know out there they're trying to get to the bottom of, you know, what is, what is fact and what is folklore and what's, you know, how these stories have been, like you said, the telephone game over the years and gotten trumped up and what actually is modern day sightings of a spirit and modern, you know, and things like that, instead of just these legends that you get on tours and history tours and and ghost tours and stuff. Yeah. You know, I was at the true crime podcast festival last year and led a panel with, some guys talking about how true crime and the paranormal intersect. 
And somebody asked the question to the panel of like, well, why don't I ever hear any ghost stories of somebody who died last year? Right. Yeah. And, you know, and the fact of the matter is, you know, is, you know, we both know if, if, if you truly believe in the paranormal, then sure enough, that spirit could be there that, you know, like could have visited you the night they died. This isn't, that's not a necessary paranormal question, but it's a very cultural question. Right. And a lot of what I do is almost more people trying to come to terms with history and with some of the more traumatic elements of history and uh, very local and hyper-local parts of history and, and things of that nature, as opposed to really coming to terms with the fact that, you know, grandma came back, Yeah, I guess is what you'd say. You know, and, and it really, you could even go deeper with, with that particular question, even go into just this whole ethical consideration as well. You know, I'm not going to give a ghost tour and talk about somebody who passed away here um, five years ago that they say they're seeing their ghost because, you know, his wife still lives around the corner. Right, right. Right. So there's there is kind of that. But as a paranormal researcher you know, or, a, or a ghost hunter or something to that, if you know, you would take that in because you're not treating it as, as entertainment right. in the same way that I might. Yeah. And uh, a few weeks ago, I guess about a month ago, when I talked to Katrina Weedman, we kind of got into that. And one of the cases that she was talking about that affected her was a recent one. We kind of got in that whole uh-huh. question and, and it was actually from New Orleans. It's a, a famous murder suicide. Now this place is haunted. And, uh, yes, people, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> people actually see the guy he killed, he killed his uh, girlfriend and then killed himself and people actually see him and this place is haunted now when it wasn't before. And it was upstairs like above a voodoo shop. So that, you know, plays into the story as well. You know, was all this conjecture around, yeah. was he driven mad because they were above a voodoo shop and all this other shit. But, but yeah, she said that yeah. was probably the one case that really bothered her because it was so recent and that they, you know, she could relate to those people because if they were still alive, they'd be around the same age as me and her, you know, in our, you know, late thirties, yeah. early forties. And like, they, they grew up listening to the same music, dressed the same way. She was like, you know, when she saw the pictures of them, she said, you know, it was different than going to a historical place because of that. And, and she said it still kind of haunts her a little bit and sticks with her because it was so recent and she could relate so much to both of them. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really, that that's one that's bugged me a lot. There's, you know, there's a museum in town that has, um, has the oven that was in that property yeah. in, in their museum. And I just don't quite know how I feel about it, but, you know, and this, this is coming from somebody who lived through Katrina as well, you know, so there's a different element, you know, my sister won't even watch a documentary on Katrina, yeah. you know, because, because it has so much going on, but, you know, there's another story right now that kind of happened upon and I've been going back and forth of whether or not I'm going to. Uh, do some research into it or write about it or not. Uh, it's the Mad Butcher of New Orleans. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. It, essentially, the story goes is you had a German man, and I can't, I cannot remember the specifics. I haven't dug too deep into it. So, so anyone that knows the story better than me, pardon the, the misinformation. But essentially, uh, on Ursuline Street, it's considered, you know, one of the most haunted blocks in America, right? Which is the <laughs> famous tagline in every town, <laughs> right? And this. You know, this, this building in Ursuline, he is, I believe, a sausage maker, butcher, something of that nature. He needs to hire some help. He's a German immigrant, decides to go down to the docks uh, to try and find someone, another young German man or something to help out, come to the store and, um, you know, and help make sausage. Well, he goes down to the port, ends up, you know, ends up with the prostitutes, ends up running around doing the whole New Orleans thing. Wife finds out, gets mad, they get in a big fight. 
husband kills the wife, chops her up, turns her into sausage. Oh, yeah, everything you'd expect about this French Quarter story of a sausage maker. Well, eventually, one day, somebody's eating some of this man's sausage. And what do you know? They find a ring in the sausage. Ground her up, made her into sausage. So, of course, the police come knocking on the door. What do they find? They found out, well, they found some of the remains of his wife in a trunk. Ooh, the trunk. They start questioning the man. The man starts saying, he's, he's, he's like, man, I, I don't know what happened to her. I thought she left me. I thought she left me. And he's just really, really adamant about it. He's heartbroken because his wife has left him. His wife had left him. And, and this isn't real. I didn't do it. But then all of a sudden, he just kind of flips. And he flips in this kind of, I don't know, like, a, like an exorcist kind of way, right? He flips over and he admits to the whole thing. And he's this whole other person. And he's admitting, knows all the details of the crime. And then he flips back and forth and kind of in this really schizophrenic way. And of course, he gets hauled off. Well, about 30 years later, right down the street about, I can't remember how many doors down, but it's still Ursuline Avenue right there. Um, what do you know? A very similar murder happens. I think it was a deli or something at that point. Uh, a man and his wife get into a, a kerfluffle, if you will. Man kills the wife. I think he shoves the wife this time in a crate i can't remember but eventually people find out same deal he says oh i don't know i don't know what is yada 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 same thing police are we're talking to him wondering you know how this happened no i swear my wife left me i swear my wife left me and just schizophrenic kind of thing going back and forth back and forth and that happened he gets he gets hauled off so this has kind of been a legend in ursuline well uh back after katrina there was a similar situation to like you're talking about that that famous one and this one was you know in the news as well where uh during katrina they were doing someone was doing house to house checks after katrina and they smelled the remains inside of a of of this uh this apartment or something and sure enough they found that um this man had done something to his girlfriend in a similar fashion to the other story you're talking about and they found someone did this and he acted really weird about it and made a lot of claims and he actually did this before Katrina but the woman had been in this crate or in this box all this time he had put her remains and he claimed he didn't do it and then he kind of supposedly just acted strange well this more recent story has been moved in just some people are now trying to say that that is part of this larger thing on Ursuline because it happened a few doors down and some of these things. But here's the, here, when I started researching it, you know, this girl who had been murdered, I mean, her parents had been very vocal on the internet and have been very vocal about the issues surrounding this. And right before COVID, Don Wilder, who does the discovery channel, the, Oh, what do they call mysteries of the museum guy? Right. Yeah. He put out a series called, Oh man, it was, wasn't dark tales it was something like that it was dark stories or something and and he went down to new orleans and he actually discussed this and the local tour guide told them about this newer one but they didn't use the last names of the more recent people so it's interesting how ethically the more i've read into it the more uncomfortable i would be attaching this to this old legend but it's happening anyway and it's a really difficult gray space to be in but this is how legends inevitably get made. These are real people at the start of all these legends. Right. I know for some of our stories, it, it, we've 
really gotten uncomfortable at times, even with a hundred year old story of going and digging through a tale. And then at the very end of it, at the, at the bottom of this rabbit hole, there's a mother, you know, there's a mother who is sad, who is depressed, who's lost children or, you know, or anything of that nature. There's, there's real tragedy there. That's, it's just a hundred years old now. Right. Right. So it's fascinating. And they, you know, the guys, are, the guys in the true crime world deal with this all the time now. And there really is a, a large movement for this kind of ethics and true crime at the moment. That I... What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think it'll do us all better at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. There's Because uh, there's so many true crime podcasts out there. And also, I, th- I think in the paranormal world, you know, I wouldn't come on here... Just ethically, I wouldn't come on here and talk about a case that I've investigated. I would talk about the historical people, you know, that had had lived. But if there was something more recent, then I would I would stay away from that. And I think because I'm a true crime nerd as well, and listen to lots of true crime podcasts, and I think they have a an ethical duty to stay away from some of that stuff. I mean, if it's in the media and all that, then I, I understand. But you know, there yeah. the, there are still victims out there that aren't dead, you know, when it comes to the families and stuff. And so, yeah, I think ethically, you know, staying away from stuff like that. And, I, and that's, and that's probably why you don't hear a lot about, you know, recent hauntings and recent ghosts more than you do. There are stories out there, but I just think people don't share them out of respect because like you're saying, there still are people around who knew these people. And a lot of times yeah. the hauntings come from tragic circumstances of murder or suicide and things like that. And so, yeah, I think people just keep those more close to the vest than, than putting those stories out there when, you know, if the person lived a hundred years ago or even 80 years ago, you know, it's, it's a bit more easy to talk about and especially a haunting, you know? Yeah. You know, Nina, Nina instead of already gone, she's a, a fairly big true crime podcast. and She's got the golden voice, by the way, Aaron. Um, she, <laughs> she, uh, she just sounds incredible. She's a velvet voice and you could listen to her describe these brutal happenings all day and fall asleep to it. But, uh, she told me once that the difference between what I do and what she does is that I'm trying to go as far down through the roots of something, like the roots of a trauma, trying to go as, as deep as I can. And her goal is to cast a large net to help the families, to help them gather more information. She's not trying to get down to the cause of it necessarily. She's trying to bring awareness to it. Yeah. If that's if, if that's the best way to say, it. you know, how do we how do we help victim families and how do we help this victim achieve the you know, the the personhood that they deserve. So it's um it's interesting, you know. I mean, 
the kind of trends in history as well and, and storytelling in, in the history world have also done this. And when we talk about it, well, on the tour the other night, we did reconstruction history. You know, we talked a lot about reconstruction history, how, you know, the, the personhood of a lot of uh, minority communities, you know, how we really need to try and reestablish the focus of, of this was a human being. You know, this is a human being that went through these tragedies. Just slapping a label on this is really not going to do us justice. And it's going to help our story. Right. It's going to help the entertainment value even if, if that's what your goal is. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all we're all working toward the same goal there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think that's one thing uh, in the paranormal where we don't talk about the ethics of it a lot. Um, I think there are. Most of, most of the people in the paranormal world are, are pretty ethical and respectful because we understand kind of the gravity of what we're dealing with. Even in some situations of a haunting not even being recent, like a, like a recent death, but sometimes you got to be sensitive because you go to a location, a hist- even a historical location, and they still have living you know relatives that you still have to be respectful of that because their relatives still live in the area. And so, right. you know, to go out and, and spout a bunch of BS and, and be salacious, you know, salacious details and all this other stuff, uh, you know, it's just unethical. And then also going into, you know, doing private investigations in, in people's homes. And I think that's probably where the majority of the experiences that you're going to have that'll be like more recent deaths and tragedies is going to be in people's homes. Right. So for the most part, you're not going to talk about those anyway. You know, uh, I've talked yeah. about a few Every once in a while, I'll talk about a few private investigations I've done. I'm not big into doing private investigations, but uh, I have had people reach out, and I've had teams reach out for my help. And, you know, that's that's between me and the homeowner. You know, I'm not trying to put their business out there. I might talk about the experience right. that I had there, but I'm not going to, you know, blast out there. This is where we were at, and these are the people's names, and, you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, we'll say that the, the paranormal community that that does these investigations their ability to help preserve historic locations is like unparalleled to any, it doesn't matter how much, how historic a place is. If you can, if you can have paranormal investigations, you can bring in the money. Yeah. You know, like people are fascinated with it. And I think that's one of the, one of the just lesser known upsides to paranormal investigation that, that there's such a keen awareness that the community is trying to preserve these places and trying to, to keep this intact for other people. It's, it's, it's wonderful, man. You know? Yeah. I've talked about that quite a bit here on the show and that's why I love doing the events. And I don't, I don't make any money off of most of the events that I do because it's all about putting that money back into that historical location to preserve the stories and the history and for more generations to enjoy. And, uh, you know, I love it because when people come out to do events with me, I'm very history focused. And so, you know, I like to teach them the history, but then they get entertained by the paranormal aspect of it, of all the, you know, us actually ghost hunting and, and trying to contact these spirits. But they also learn something at the same time. Right. Yeah, you're in that spot, man. I'm telling you, the energy's still there when you end up there. There's nothing like it. Yeah, yeah. I love the, uh, we've talked about uh, Carnton over there. I'm going over to Carnton here in Franklin, where the, the Battle of Franklin was, and and just there's something about standing in the middle of that plantation where whether you believe that Miss McGavick is showing up every night on that, you know, on that balcony or whether you believe that's true or not. If you go at 10 a.m. in the morning and were to just stand in the middle of that building and look at both sides 
and just imagine 10,000 Confederate troops coming up your front lawn and all the smoke and the smells and everything. How is that energy not still seeping onto the ground there? I just right. can't. I, there's no there's no logical way that this place hasn't felt some type of scar because of that. And to wrap your head around what the family went through and, and what those soldiers went through and, and that place being a, you know, still has bloodstains in the floor to this day. And right. Yeah. How could that energy not carry over with all of that going on? Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Oh yeah. 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 We're <laughs> obviously, you know, we're talking about Franklin here and it's just, there's just so much, uh, there's so many stories like that here and in every town. And that's, that's why I like sticking to the South in general at the moment is, so many common themes in each of these southern towns and there's this microcosm in all these little towns of people and a somewhat shorter history you know like you know like a, a someone who's born in london is going to think that an, that an antique we have is just so much a second hand right because they got stuff going back to 500 years you know the south really has this limited time span that you can really focus on um, of all these kind of different groups kind of getting shoved together within the span of 200 years and and we have similar stories everywhere, and we have this one conflict that so many of so many communities have kind of, you know, bonded over for better or worse. So, anyway, I, <laughs> you know, we could go down any of those rabbit holes for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. And I even after we did the Franklin tour, we stood around and talked for like what an hour and a half about <laughs> the paranormal. Oh yeah, yeah. After I know, I know you can talk all day. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, and you know. I know. Shout out to your friend Alan, who who has that book on the ghosts of Franklin. It is a, a really, really well written and researched book because he takes it building by building in that book, and did a really good job of kind of just you can walk through and just see this history of every single one of these buildings. It just goes so far back, and that's what's fascinating. You know, I know we we talk about Third Avenue there, Third Avenue being like the most haunted spot there. You know, it was residential for a very long time. So you had, sto you had stories, centuries of stories from generation after generation of the same family that could go through this kind of oral tradition and then end up in a book, you know, 200 years later. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I'm working on my own book um, about uh, small town haunts and legends of Tennessee. So I've been kind of diving into into the stories around Tennessee. And, and a lot of these places that I'm writing about, and doing research on their their families are still around. Yeah. And some of them are very pretty notorious hauntings around Tennessee when you get to the local area, but other people outside of the area don't really know about these places. And a lot of them are historical places. They're museums now and you can go take tours and stuff. But uh but yeah, finding some fascinating stories. And you were talking about doing research and going down rabbit holes. Yeah. I, right. I've hit a few of those that have turned into really interesting stories to put in the book that are not just paranormal, but but about history that even being a Tennessee native, I've never heard. And uh, uh, these interesting people and legends and folklore, like even a lot of people, like you, you had an episode on the Wampus Cat. And yeah, yeah. and that's that used to be a huge legend around Tennessee. And now, you know, nobody hears about things like that. The oral tradition has somewhat died off with, with the internet and uh, to where these stories, a lot of these stories aren't, you can find stuff about the Wampus Cat, but it's not the same as people passing down these stories in the Appalachian tradition and, and things like they used to. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's interesting because it does kind of move to a new level. 
it, it changes the way the stories evolve now. So just to, to kind of give you an example of that, even, you know, we have, we did some research into Lake Lanier in Georgia. Um, and the story behind Lake Lanier is, and Georgia had a bunch of these, well, a lot of the South, a lot of places in America, and these man-made lakes, right? And Lake Lanier was made, it was, a, a dam was built, and this area was flooded because they needed a water source for Atlanta, okay? And, of course, what they had to do was they had to buy out a bunch of these farming communities and take their land, essentially. You know, some of them were well-paid, some of them weren't. Um, I believe this was the 50s that this happened. Um, so what you ended up having is you have these man-made lakes that have ghost towns underneath them. Okay. You have, I mean, just whole communities that basically up and left. Some of them were moved away. Some weren't. Well, Lake Lanier is considered one of the most dangerous lakes in the country at this point. More deaths there. Every summer, you know, you have like three, four deaths there. Okay. And they believe that it's cursed because of that. And for when I started doing research on Lake Lanier, maybe about five years ago or so, uh, the belief was that Lake Lanier was cursed because the Army Corps of Engineers did not move these cemeteries. They left, they left you know, these sacred places there. They didn't move the bodies. And they flooded this all in. And now today you have people will claim that they have arms pulling them under, you know, pulling them under the tide. All these kind of strange things are happening there. And it's, you know, like I said, I mean, every summer, there's probably two or three deaths on Lake Lanier still to this day. Um, well, this story's kind of evolved, though. The story, because of the internet, even, and because of common occurrences. So, you know, so this isn't something new. Like I was saying, it's something that happened back then, but now the internet's kind of taken its own way of doing it. I mean, just just even in the last three years. So three years ago, a book came out called Blood on the Root. Okay. And this book basically chronicled one of the cities down at the bottom of Lake Lanier. Back in 1912, they had a lynching occurred. It was called Oscarville. And a lynching occurred in Oscarville where um, a young black man was accused of raping a, a white woman. He was not given a fair trial nothing of that nature. He was lynched, killed in Oscarville. And then they basically ran out all of the black people out of town. And Forsyth County was almost entirely white. And still to this day, is almost entirely white in this legacy there. And Oscarville is now on the bottom of Lake Lanier. Okay, so this book came out, I believe it's 2018, 2019. So everything up until now about Lake Lanier has been very focused on well, this is cursed because of the cemeteries. But now with the internet and things starting to, to, to come about, and even I think it's two years ago yesterday was the George Floyd case happened, and you have this shifting of cultural awareness of wanting to tell more minority stories. The internet has now kind of merged this Oscarville tragedy into this now might be the cause for Lake Lanier's curse. And it's absolutely fascinating to see it in real time. Now, that's as kind of a third-party observer of it, trying not to get involved in, in, well, you know, what really does, what really has cursed it or not. I don't know. I don't know. You know, and that's certainly something. Both of those things sound like they could be real reasons for the lake to be cursed. Right. Um, or it could just be, hey, this is Georgia. Hold my beer. Three people die <laughs> on the lake every summer. Right. right? It could be any right. of these things. You know, but the internet has kind of given way 
for this new narrative to start changing and a new way for people to take these kind of older legends and put a different spin on it. And that's in a way that wasn't, they weren't able to do before, you know, television kind of started doing it some, you know, when, uh, with ghost shows, they've been able to kind of switch legends, but now it's almost democratized version. Um, but it's fascinating, man, you know, and it's, especially it's fascinating now because in, in 2022, the stories that, that we see are kind of, they're getting changed in a way that are nicer. I don't know how to put it. Um, look, I, I do Southern stories. Race is involved a lot in the stories. Right. And the stories of 1920 uh, very much you, were heavy stereotypes of race. And they were very, very heavily stereotyped. And now the stuff in 22, as you watch it evolve, is evolving in more human means. You know, it's, it's evolving more in personhood, at least now. So anyway, so the Internet has had this incredibly different impact. If you can if you can kind of step back and watch some of these stories in real time and, and kind of see the hallmarks of them, like, you know, like you're saying, the Wampus Cat might might be no more. Yeah. You know, in, in 20 years. But my eight year old scared to death of the Wampus Cat. <laughs> well, I think I think in other ways, the Internet's done really good things for the paranormal because you can you can put one of these stories out there and then hear from people who've actually had their own experiences at that location or with whatever phenomena, whether it be ghost or Bigfoot or cryptid or, you know, so it, it connects people in a lot of way. I just, I think the oral tradition is kind of dying off. And I don't like that because I, I, you know, I, me and you grew up before the internet and not that we're that old, but you know, um, yeah, so, I, no. so I remember people sitting around telling stories and listening to stories from, you know, the older people in my family and, and older people that my parents knew and stuff. And, and so I just think it's, it's maybe for me, it's just nostalgic. Maybe I'm just getting to be one of those old guys, like, you know, get off my lawn, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're right. It's it's just, they're changing differently. Yeah. You know, what is there's one. Oh, it's been, it's been a long time. I, I don't do a lot of cryptids. We did like, that was kind of our Patreon special thing is we did a bunch of cryptids at one point and I've, I've sort of forgotten some of my cryptid lore. There's a, there's an Arkansas cryptid that you basically found out is the product of Reddit and the early internet creating this monster. Yeah. You've also got, I mean, you got other things like the Slender Man that have come around with, with Reddit and the internet. Yeah. Even with a Slender Man, you've got people believing that it's real, and there's a famous true crime case of these two little girls trying to stab this other little girl to death because the Slender Man told them to do it. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's you know just with the advent of Reddit and people putting these short stories out there and people believe them. Yeah, yeah. It's a, those are power. That was the story, like Slender Man and everything. It's a it's a new wave of urban legend. Yeah, in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've been uh, I've been sifting through urban legend as well with with doing research for the book because when you look all around the country and even even like I found this all over Tennessee in these small towns, you get these same urban legends of like these stories about bridges. You know, turn your headlights off or flash your headlights and this will happen, or like ro ah, railroad yeah. tracks. You know, if you put your car in neutral on the railroad tracks, these kids that were killed on the school bus will push your car over, and those are all over Tennessee and everybody claims that that's a real thing in their area. And, uh, there's, there's many, many more like, uh, one of the big ones that you hear about a lot 
you've even talked about it too on your show is the lady in white, the lady in white phenomenon oh, yeah. is like all over the world. And you know, is this, is this just a uh, folklore handed down tradition of the lady in white? Or is this really how that we just see these apparitions? Yeah. But it's interesting to, to sift through the, and to have these same local folklore and local legends that aren't really local folklore and local legends, you know, they come from different places and all these different places have the same, the same ones. Yeah. You know, and we to circle back to the Clouston bride is a really good example of that because the Clouston bride is a story about a blonde hair, blue eyed woman who um, is kind of forced into false love, uh, you know, or, or however you want to put it forced into a marriage that she doesn't want to have or something seems like the end of the world for this, this young blonde hair, blue eyed teenage woman in the South. And the way that I, that's why I was tipped off to thinking, you know, this, this doesn't sound real right. was because this particular stereotype or story was so prominent that when William Faulkner purchased his own house, which is an old plantation that he called it Rowan Oak. Um, and when he purchased his house, being the grandchild of a Civil War colonel, he wrote a story. He wrote a fiction story that he told his his grandkids and nieces and nephews every Halloween about a woman that is almost the same story, a little different. I mean, there's a little more Civil War involved about, you know, love with a, a U.S. soldier and, you know, unrequited love and all. But, but basically, another suicidal, blonde hair, blue-eyed girl. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and this story is everywhere. I think I have I've probably covered at least three or four dead brides in Southern Gothic at this point, yeah. because every town or every little region has one. And some of them are true. Some of them are entirely made up. But like I said, there, it was such a stereotype that even a man of that time, like William Faulkner, picked up on it and used all those tropes and, you know, in, in the 1920s. There's another famous one here in Tennessee. Was it? Is it Rotherwood Mansion that has another kind of um, ghost bride? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Rotherwood, man, Rotherwood had, it was the, um, I just covered this too, so I'm, I'm embarrassed by um, how few specifics I have on it um, off the top of my head. But yeah, what it was was the bride, she went to get married. She It was, it was wedding day. And her husband decided she said something like out on the river out there there's there's I think those are beautiful flowers and would love for them to, to be in the church or something of that nature right there's a few different variations on the story um, I, I think they're beautiful and so of course the fiance or the new husband decides to jump on a raft and go get it sure enough he drowns right in front of her face you know and of course to this day she can be seen walking around up and down the banks of this river. Uh, searching for her lost love. It was a very lady in white story. Yeah. You know, so Rutherwood has one, the same thing, the chapel of the cross cemetery down in, in Mississippi, outside of Jackson. It's, it's right of Annandale, Mansdale, Mississippi. There's a similar one. Woman, a uh, woman was marrying Henry Vick, a man from the Vicksburg family. And he, right before the wedding, decides to go down to New Orleans to, get a new suit, get some business done before the wedding or whatever. What do you know? He gets in a duel and gets shot and killed in a duel for his honor. Right. And 
the church is all done up with all the flowers. Like every one of these stories, the church is all done up with all the flowers and everything. And she finds out that he's dead. And now we can see the bride of Annandale sitting there crying at the cemetery down outside of Jackson. And I visited that spot and it's, it is creepy. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, I mean, there's, there's a little bench behind Henry Vick's grave there. And I went with my sister and was teasing Brianne, like, are you going to sit down? I'm not going to sit there. I'm not, you know, but um, yeah, the story's everywhere. And, And some of them like, like the bride of Annandale have a lot of truth in it. On the other hand, Rotherwood, oh, we can't find that husband yeah. that died. We just can't. I mean, it's just it's not there. And she passed away. They ended up leaving Rotherwood, and she died in Alabama, I believe. But you know, that husband might not have ever existed. I think we mentioned in the in the podcast. I think we mentioned that the father had written about she. This woman was supposedly married three times. The first husband is the one that the story's about, but in the father's journals, he never mentions a first husband, but the folklore makes it sound like, like this for, this was the love of her life and, and all of this and all of, yet, you know, we've got documentation that he, he should have been in, in what we've found, right. He should have been in right. there and, and nothing, you know, even, even her headstone only acknowledges two husbands, but the story persists anyway. Well, Rotherwood is one of those that, I mean, it's kind of surrounded by folklore, even the way that the, the, uh, Joshua Phipps died and it wasn't yeah. he, the one with flies kind of choked him to death. Or yeah. Something. yeah. Yeah. The, the vicious slave yeah. owner. Yeah. He was, uh, supposedly, yeah, he was kind of like a Lori type where he, uh, being worse than all the other slave owners and, and just torturing his slaves. And supposedly there were uh, harnesses and all in the house and a pole or something for him to strap people to and whip them in the living room. And he had a mistress that was formerly enslaved woman of mixed race. And, and that's a stereotype that, that, that we see a lot in ghost stories as well. Um, but you know, and yeah. And then he ends up, what happens is he dies. He, he fell sick, he fell ill and he had one of this young boy was standing there, um, cooling him down or something, yeah. right? Was fanning him because he had come up, he'd fallen ill and his fever had shot up. And this, this boy described that from the window, just the swarm of flies came in and overtook his face and flew down his throat. And the boy watched the man's last gasp as flies, you know, over, overtook him and then left as soon as they came just in this giant, you know, swarm, I guess. I'm yeah. picturing like a, a murder of crows or something, <laughs> right. you know, yeah, and then, but, but come to find out, I mean, in history, he really didn't even die there. He died. He had to sell off the mansion uh, because of debts or something, and died somewhere else. Well, rather the the father did. I, I believe Phipps still died oh, there. Okay. I think Phipps still did. Uh, the man before that didn't, and the daughter didn't. The daughter, who's the bride, that's there did not. But I think Phipps did die there. If I, I would have to go. I don't know. Yeah. Check, go check out Southern Gothic podcast <laughs> at southerngothicmedia.com for the real story. <laughs> right, right. Well, I've, I've got all these stories, especially from Tennessee, rolling around in my head, you know, from, from researching the yeah. book. And, and Rotherwood is, of course, one of those that I've been researching. And, and yeah, so all the stories just kind of roll together. Which, which absolutely crazy. That's, that's a great one because 
now you know the the mansion's still there, and and a doctor purchased the mansion, so it's a private mansion. You can't go visit it anyway. But the majority of that property is called Rotherwood Estates, and it's like an HOA community. Yeah, you know, which is just it's fascinating how that changes. So, I mean, now it's basically a suburb, right? You know, what, what was once the edge of town. You know, I don't. Have you been out there? Have you driven out there or anything? I have not yet. No. No, I, I'm curious. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you and I need to take a road trip to some of these places while you're doing the book. It yeah. might be fun to, to go see some of them because I, I haven't been to that one. Yeah, and I've, I've been talking about doing that uh, since it's warmed up, especially uh, so I can put my own pictures in the book. Yeah. Because I, like I like the visual. Like, I don't want a whole picture book, but, you know, like, I like the visual of, okay, I'm talking about this place. Here's what it looks like. So people can actually visualize the place I'm talking about and the haunting and that, that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, as we said earlier, you feel the energy different. I, I feel like you can't quite the difference in being able to tell a story when you've been there and stood outside of it versus read it in a book is very, very powerful. Yeah. Being able to stand in that spot and kinda soak it in, just the connection you feel to it. Even even talking about like the Bride of Andale just now, you know, we, we plowed through Mississippi one day and um, you know, I think we were only we were only at the Chapel of the Cross for about twenty minutes max. But just going and really seeing it and being able to feel like, wow, this is this is where all that happened. And being able to look at this church in front of you and picture it. This was built for this woman. This was built in time for this woman's wedding. You know, right. and, and now we can go back there to her headstone and look at it and just imagine the, the sorrow that would have been here when this church first opened. But it, uh, it really helps you understand, feel a little more empathy for them as people, too. Right. All right. Well, I thank you for coming on today, Brandon. Uh, I've enjoyed our chat. I love hearing the stories and me and you could talk for the next five hours. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will off mic at some point. <laughs> right. <I> hope, so. <laughs> right. All right. Well, everybody can find you on all the social medias under Southern Gothic podcast and also uh, Southern Gothic media.com. And also if you're listening to this podcast, you can find Southern Gothic southerngothicmedia.com and you know we're on all the apps and everything so come give us a listen subscribe and uh yeah give us a shout and if you if anyone out there has any stories your mama told you we're always always interested in hearing some old stories from small towns that we might not have ever heard of all right thank you so much brandon everybody out there stay safe have a good day we'll see you next time join us next time for a new episode of the unseen paranormal until then head over to the unseen paranormal lounge on facebook for all the latest updates and discussions about the show. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, or at unseenparanormalpodcast.com. And please rate, review, share, and subscribe to help more people discover the show. A big thank you to my friend Chris Lips for the awesome theme music. You can find more of his music on Apple, Amazon, or Spotify. And as always, thank you for listening.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.